Uh, some of you had swimming lessons. Some of you were just thrown into the shallow water by your parent, and good luck. Uh, some of you had kinder parents, and so they gave you lessons. They signed you up for someone else to torture you and attempt to drown your weary little body as it floated uh, helplessly in the waters. Uh, my parents did exactly that. They registered me and sent me to a local pool where I was taught how, first of all, to get comfortable just floating in the water. And so the uh, individual torch teaching me uh, took a, one, of these floating, uh, one of these floating kind of foam things and put it behind me and had me, first of all, kind of practice laying out on the water. You remember this? And they wanted you to get just comfortable just relaxing and, and floating in the water. And so I was pretty good at that. I had this flotation device underneath me, and, and I, I was floating. And then what they do is they remove the device, and they just put the, 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 their hand in the small of your back and just kind of hold you there. Now, that's a little more nerve-wracking. As a child in water that is probably only up to about my chest, yet there's just this sense of helplessness when you're floating there. But the comfort is that hand in the small of your back. And and the trick they tell you is is you've got to arch your back and keep looking up. Because the moment you quit looking up and start looking towards the individual holding you or kind of towards to see if your back is arched maybe, uh, you kind of go in more of a V-shape and your bottom starts to descend to the bottom, and you start to drown, or feel like you're going to. And so they hold, they hold you, and then they remove the hand. And you've got to get, you, you realize quickly that if you get anxious, or if you're worried, or you've got some anxiety about this, you get tense at all, you kind of move into the V position, and you're literally sunk. Uh, but if you look up and relax... Just don't worry about what's happening. It's okay. I was reminded of this this last summer. My family and I went for a family uh, reunion uh, on my wife's side down in Asoyas. Uh, some of you have been to Asoyas. Really nice, warm lake. We were in the lake, and I was just doing exactly that, looking to the sky, arching my back slightly, and floating, and just really enjoying myself. But we were near where the boats were docking. And so, you know when your ears are underwater, they're submerged, you can hear sounds, that boat engine rumbles, even if they're far away off. And so every time I heard an engine rumble in the water, I got worried that a boat was going to come into dock. And, and so right away, got a little bit nervous and tense and kind of looked up and sure enough, I'd start sinking. The tension and anxiety led to me feeling like I was going to, well, not drown, but kind of have that panicked, drownish kind of a feeling. I don't know whether you've ever had that kind of panicked, kind of worry, anxiety uh, that you're going to drown. Maybe not in the water, but maybe in life a little bit. Because some things are incredibly overwhelming. And today we're going to spend some time looking at what Jesus speaks into the topic of worry. From Matthew chapter 6, and then we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 8 a little bit as well today. Uh, Definitions of worry. I looked them up in the dictionary, uh, and there were four that jumped out at me, and I think they're helpful for kind of setting some boundaries, setting some parameters for us this morning. The first definition they gave of worry was simply this, anxiety. You can relate to that. You get anxious. You get kind of wound up inside. There's this sense where your, your blood pressure begins to rise, and you are worried, you have anxiety about an issue. And there's a whole gamut of reasons this could be, but anxiety, that's our key word. For some of us, it leads to nail-biting. For some of it, it leads to uh, physical uh, movements over and over and over again. For some of us, we... We have to tap things or, or, or our foot keeps moving. We get anxious, right? And it, it comes out and, and manifests itself in our bodies. 
That's the first kind of definition the dictionary gives of worry. And it's a good definition. Uh, the second one that's given is, is care. Now, if anxiety is a negative definition of worry, as well as the two that are about to come, uh, care is a positive definition of worrying. It's in a good sense of the word, I guess. Uh, some of you have worried about a friend who's going on a trip. And it's not that it's going to keep you up at night. It's not that you got anxious and your blood pressure starts to build every time you think about them going on this trip. It's simply that you're wishing them well. You care for them. So I'm, 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 I'm worried about you. As you go on this trip, I heard some stuff. I'm just, I'm, it's a good positive sense of the word. But f- usually it's a negative sense. And maybe that's why only a quarter of the examples the dictionary gives are positive. Care. 25% of the words, one of them of four, positive. The rest are negative. Here's the next negative one. That which divides. It's almost like a worry paranoia. We're worried about what others maybe think about us. We're worried about what other people might be feeling about us or about a situation. And and so we decide rather than confront and interact with them, we just can avoid them. It just just divides relationships and people. Maybe some of you can be thinking about situations in your own life or that you've observed that have done just that. Somebody's worried about something. So rather than seek to resolve it, I'm just going to walk away and just, and it divides. What's well, the third? And that's a negative one. Uh, the fourth one is, is, I feel like I should say the fourth one in some kind of a British professor type accent because it seems to be a very sophisticated answer. Uh, worry. Distracts the mind and which draws a troubled person's mind to another direction. It seems very sophisticated, right? It's, it's the kind of worry that keeps you up at night. It's the kind of worry that hijacks your day when you're not even thinking about a topic and all of a sudden it pops in your mind, oh yeah, oh. And, and a perfectly good day is detoured into the sense of anxiety and worry and just fidgeting and fretting. and It hijacks your mind and it takes you to places you really wish you wouldn't these are some definitions of worry. And I know for most of us, this is just easy stuff. It just makes sense. But I thought it would be good just to walk through it again, just to get ourselves in this place of thinking about worry. Uh, James, chapter 1. Uh, the writer talks about worry and, and some biblical perspective on this sense of being troubled. And in the message paraphrase of that verse, I thought it was quite helpful, says this, consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tested and tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. And it's this idea that sometimes, and we'll discover it as we move through today, God will allow us to stay in the circumstances that cause our worry, not because he's some mean overlord, but because he's interested in seeing us mature and develop. And we'll get there eventually as to how he begins to do that and changing our perspective when it comes to worry. He doesn't always save us from it, but he rescues us in the midst of it. 
first point, if we were going along that way, and there's some notes in, in the bulletin if you want to follow along or on that application I mentioned earlier. Uh, the first one is simply this. Well, let me, let me read first. Let me read from Matthew. Let's just back up the PowerPoint guys up there. and My mistake. Uh, let's, let's just jump into Matthew. Read what he has to say. Jesus has to say about this in, in chapter 6. Here's, here's, what, here's what Jesus' words are. And he's just finished talking about money, interesting enough. And the fact that we can't serve two masters. And so it's said in that context. Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body and what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? And the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. That is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, for the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Words of Jesus. And so if we're taking notes, the first thing that just jumps off the page to me and is brutally obvious is is this. Worry was a big deal back then. And it's a big deal now. It's a big deal back then, it's a big deal now. Jesus wouldn't have been talking about it. This is a subject that crosses all cultures and historical settings and circumstances. Worry is universal and it's timeless. We worry and Jesus knows that and so he speaks into it. And this is what I love about the fact that Jesus speaks into this. He's not some God in the sky saying, why are you worrying? You know, he's not, not some Lord up in heaven where it's all just gold streets and there's no tears and there's no more sorrow or hurt or pain. It's all wonderful. This is the God who stepped into history. The God who put skin on and lived amongst his creation. A God who, at this point, was somebody who was homeless. Robin alluded to that as he talked about the ministry of man and the generosity of this church community towards those who are homeless in this community. I mean, Jesus was homeless at this time. Uh, he knew what it was like to have loss. His father, we presume, at this point, had, had passed away, had died. This was Jesus who would have friends betray him. This was Jesus who knew what it was about to live in hurt and want and uncomfortable situations. And he speaks into worry. The second person in the Trinity speaks into worry out of experience. And so I love that this is not just God kind of speaking from the heavens down and giving an edict, do not worry. But this is Jesus in the midst of humanity saying to his friends, 
look, don't worry. Worry is real then. It's real now. Some of our worries that we have, based in fear often, are, are irrational. You know people like this. They have just irrational fears. I mean, you could try to argue with them about why they shouldn't be scared or worried or anxious about a situation, but it doesn't make sense to them because it's irrational. There's whole lists of phobias and irrational fears that people have. Uh, Let's see the first picture. Uh, We just looked some of these up here. Uh, Next slide. Uh, Some of you woke up to something like this this morning. I just Googled Snow Parksville, and this is the first picture that came up. Uh, Some of you woke up to this kind of stuff yesterday morning and this morning. And maybe it didn't connect with you, but several people are not in chairs this morning, but perhaps, perhaps they have this. Next slide. Chineophobia. The fear of snow. The cough. People are having allergic reactions over here already. Snow. <laughs> They're just irrational. It's snow. Crystallized water. What's the problem? They have a fear, a phobia of snow. Here, here's the next one. Perhaps some of you, this picture scares you. Oh, this is called Germaniophobia. It's a fear of Germans. Which is particularly troubling if you are German. Uh, here, here's another one. Whenever you see Pastor Paul, who's not here today, that's why some of you are here today. You just get nervous, and that's because you have this. Homeophobia, a fear of sermons. It's a legitimate fear on the phobia list. Fear of sermons. Homeophobia. And these just don't, these are not rational. Well, maybe the last one's rational. I don't know. There's irrational fears that some of us have that just haunt us and cause anxiety and worry. And Jesus is speaking into this as well. Worry was something then, it's something now. And I wonder if you took a list in your mind right now of some of the fears you have. Some of the worries that burden you. Uh, maybe some of you just mentally right now want to think of some. Maybe some of you just want to make a note right now. What are, what are some of the top three fears you have, worries that you have in your life? Just take a moment. Maybe it has to do with job or school. Just jot these down. Maybe it has to do with family. Maybe it's relationship worries. Maybe it's health issues on behalf of yourself or somebody else. Uh, maybe your worries have something to do with uh, image and how you perceive other people perceive you. I mean, there's a whole list of this stuff. What about in your life? What are some of these, these, these worries for you right now? Worries and fears are, feel like they overwhelm and drown us sometimes. And, and so as I read this, this passage and what Jesus speaks into this, there's a second note or thought that I had, and it's this. Worry is about control, and we have none. And isn't that, for those of us who don't have irrational fears, but more rational ones, or worries, isn't that just it? We want to have control of something. But it just goes through our grasp and we can't get it. We want to be God over our situation. Be all-powerful. But we can't be. And it's beyond us. And so we worry and we fret and we get anxious. And generally, those fall into three categories. Uh, here's, here's the first 
category that it falls into. It falls into things that we're worried about letting, not getting what we want. We're, we're worried about not getting what we want. We want, we want to have kids. We just can't get pregnant and we're worried about that. We want to, we want to buy a house. I mean, the finance, we worry about that. We, things we want to have. We, we want to have, what else I write down here? We want to have that promotion at the job. Getting things we don't have. We want to get stuff. And we worry about not having what we want. What's the first area we often worry about? The second area we often worry about is, is this. We get worried about losing what we already have. So we worry about what we don't have, then we get it, and then we worry about losing it. Now I've got the job, but what if I get fired? Now we've got the house, but what if we default on the mortgage? Now we've got our pregnant, but what if we miscarry? I mean, what if we lose what we've got? And we worry about this stuff, don't we? We worry about what we don't have, we worry about losing what we've already got, and we are worried about getting what we don't want. I don't want to get, I don't want cancer. I don't want to get divorced. I don't want to have to live here. I don't want to have to lose. We worry about getting what we don't want. That isn't what I wanted. What if I don't get it? What if I lose it? That isn't what I wanted. It's all about control. It's all about control, isn't it? Now, it's, it's okay to anticipate our needs and prepare for them. I'm not talking about worrying in the sense of uh, maybe somebody who, who doesn't plan for their future. And then is worried they might not have the finances to figure it out. That's just apathy. And there's people in this church that you can connect with who will give you a good kick and some practical help with that if you need it. I'm talking about preparing and planning. That's, that's positive control. It's not me wanting to be God. It's me taking initiative. But some things go beyond that. And there's no control there and it slips through our fingers and we worry. And we worry. We worry. There's uh, this story in Matthew chapter 8. It's kind of the next page over. And it's again about Jesus with his disciples. And this time they've decided to go for a little bit of a boat trip. I don't know how many of you remember uh, back in the 60s, or maybe you've seen the reruns of it or rented it on DVD, Gilligan's Island. Remember Gilligan? Nerdy little guy, red shirt, white hat, and there's a theme song to the show, Gilligan's Island. Rent it if you get a chance. Phenomenally funny show. We, we rent it uh, with the middle school kids in our middle school retreat this last year. Yeah, it was a crazy show. And, and you show it in black and white first, because the first season's only in black and white. And your brain self-assigns colors to all the characters and their clothing. And then you really trip the middle school kids out. And you show from the second season where there is color now. He's wearing the wrong color shirt. And they worry about that. How do they change the wardrobe? I don't understand. They go out for this boat. 
And the theme song for Gilligan's Island is, you know, about the ship going out. Three-hour tour. <laughs> the weather started getting rough. The tiny ship was tossed. If not for the courage of the fearless crew, the minnow would be lost. Some of you know that. Do you know one of the original minnow boats from Gilligan's Island is harbored in Nanus Bay? It's a true story. Google it. When Jesus and his friends got in this boat and his disciples followed him. And then the Gilligan's Island theme song music came up in the background. And without warning, a furious storm came onto the lake. So the waves swept over the boat. So you can imagine this. You're in this boat. You're out cruising along. And all of a sudden, the weather comes up. And the waves start crashing into the boat. And you're in the middle of a lake. And it does not look good. And what do the disciples do? They begin to worry. They begin to worry about losing things. Their life, for example. They begin to worry about, what if we don't get to shore? They begin to say, this isn't what we wanted. And there's a contrast that occurs between the disciples and their worry and their fear and Jesus. Here it is, verse 25. The disciples, oh, but let me back up a little bit. Jesus is sleeping. Fear and worry, peace and quiet. The disciples go to Jesus and they wake him up saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. That sinking feeling. Jesus replies, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he gets up and he rebukes the wind and the waves and it's completely calm. The men are amazed and ask, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. God controls. We don't. Fear overwhelms us, but God is in control. Worry's real, but we have none. Um, but Jesus cares. Jesus cared for them. And that's the third point we want to kind of look at this morning. It's that God actually cares about us. In the first service, Gerald, as part of a a reading at the Traditions Gathering this morning, read out uh, a verse from John 3. I think it was 14 to John 3, 14 to 17. And it said this, it says, Even as Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. For whosoever believes in Jesus, whoever believes in him, will not perish but have eternal life. That's John 3.16. Many of us are aware of that particular verse. But the one preceding it says, Even as Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And it's a kickback to Moses in the Exodus, and when the, I'm sorry, Moses in the book of Exodus, when the people of God are moving through the desert. And I believe, if I recall, there's a sickness that comes upon the group. And God calls Moses to craft a golden or bronze serpent. Interesting choice of animal considering Genesis chapter 2 and 3. A serpent. And the serpent's held up by Moses. And whoever looks at this finds healing. Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. God sends what he cares about the most. 
Jesus, his son, the second person of the Trinity, to step into humanity. Why? To sacrifice himself for us, to save us now and for eternity. That's huge. God cares for us. Matthew, uh, it's just popped up behind me here on the screen, 6 says that the Father, your Father knows your needs that you have. God cares. He's aware of our situation. And the disciples were right in the story about the boat and the storm. They brought their worry and their fear and their anxiety to Jesus who could control things. They may not have been fully aware of that at the moment. But they brought them to him and said, Jesus, save us. And why did they do that? Because they knew that Jesus cared for them. That Jesus cares about us. And knows our needs, often before we even know them. And he walks into the midst of them with us and will save us from them in some circumstances. And in other circumstances will allow us to stay there but joins with us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 talks about the God of all comfort who comforts those who are troubled so that they can comfort others later on with the comfort they themselves have received. Sometimes God saves and sometimes God enters into the midst of the situation with us and comforts us in the midst of it as we move through it. It harkens back to what James was talking about, doesn't it? God cares about us. He knows our needs and he meets us there Walk through it. And it begins with us bringing those needs to him. And so you think back to these three things that we mentioned earlier today. The the fears that we have, the worries we have, the things that cause us anxiety. Do we bring them to Jesus, the one who controls, or do we try to play God ourselves and control the situation? That was the original temptation in the garden, wasn't it? Genesis chapter 3, the fall of humanity, talks about Satan, manifest as the serpent, coming to the woman and saying, did God really say you can't eat from this fruit? She said, well, he said that we couldn't eat from the fruit or we'll die. And, and the serpent comes back and says, that's really not true. If you take it, you'll become like God. The temptation was to become a God of our own life. We don't need Yahweh. We don't need the Lord. We can control. We can be our own God. And it's the first lie. And it still is a fruit that we want to bite. If only I worry enough, surely something will change. Won't it? And yet God cares. We go back to Matthew chapter 6. What are the things we worry about? Life. What we'll eat or drink. I mean, this is about the basic survival stuff. Eat and drink. Money enough to buy food for the table. Money enough to provide those bottom line essentials. These are things we worry about. But Jesus speaks into this. And he says, look at the birds of the air. In Luke, in the same story as Luke records it, he actually says, look at the ravens. Out in front of my house, I live by the high school, and there's a little park there. There's usually a number of students who come over and eat their lunches 
across the street in that little park at lunch. Now, there is a garbage can there, but it's at least 20 feet away. That's so generally, the garbage is just left, and the school hires people to come and pick it up, which sends an interesting message in and of itself, but we won't worry about that right now. Um, and, and clean up, but a lot of the cleanup is done by the ravens, the crows, and the seagulls. Crows are not nice birds. Ravens, I mean, nobody's got ah, a pet raven. Although, some of you know a guy named Ray Tinkley, and he came up to me after first service and said, I had a pet crow. I said, you're weird. <laughs> These are nasty birds. These are garbage-picking birds. <laughs> These are, they don't even have a nice, nobody, parakeet, cockatoo, you know, birds, nice birds, sparrow, <laughs> ravens. Look at the nasty birds, says Jesus. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. You know, you know the crows going around, oh, I need to rent a combine. And your heavenly father feeds them. Point Jesus is making, God looks after the nasty birds. Sure, he's going to look after you. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. Or about your body. I mean, image. What we look like. There's a whole industry called the fashion industry that's all about this. They tell us what to wear. They create the look. And the next year they say, oh, it's not going to look anymore. Switch it up. This is the new black. Got to get it. Oh, yes. And Jesus speaks into that. Why do you worry about your clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Lilies are beautiful flowers that, in my opinion, stink. My wife brings them in every Easter and they're there and I walk in the house and I go, oh, you got those lilies again. I like looking at them. They got this smell thing going on. I don't know, but we're talking about looks right now. Clothing. So, and you don't see lilies. Oh, it's the petal of the year this year. Oh, I've got to have a little more taupe. Or you know, this petal to make my butt look big. You know, they don't worry about this stuff. The lilies of the field. They don't labor. They don't spin. They don't go to the mall. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon... One of the greatest kings of the Old Testament. I mean, lavish, trendsetter for clothing, no doubt. In all his splendor, was never dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, tomorrow is thrown in the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. Don't worry about your body. Don't worry about what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? The body more important than clothes. I mean, the pagans run after these things. People who have no sense of God's existence or haven't yielded their life to the control of the Father. They try to control themselves and they just run around like God doesn't care. But he does. Your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. God cares for us. Temporally now, Eternally then. God cares. And he moves on to this. But seek first his kingdom. This is where Jesus begins to put the priorities right. But seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness and all these things that have been listed so far. Basic essentials. Food stuff. Body image. All these things will be given to you as well. 
If you're taking notes, that's number four. Seek first God's kingdom and the rest will follow. The rest will follow. It's a reorientating of our perspective off of us. What I don't have. What I don't want to lose. What I might not get. And it goes up and changes looking to the Lord. Colossians 3. Set your eyes on things above. Set your heart on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I mean, it's all about a perspective change that Paul's talking about in that book of Colossians. And it's the same stuff that Jesus is speaking out now. Seek first God's kingdom, not your own. And when we begin to look to the Father and to his agenda and his plans and his purposes and join him in doing that, we begin to serve others, we begin to minister to others, and suddenly it's not all about us anymore. And worrying seems to begin to fade. It doesn't mean the circumstances have changed. It doesn't mean that the troubles have faded. But our perspective changes to looking at God and being concerned about him and his agenda rather than us and our agenda. And there's a yielding that takes place. There's a yielding that takes place. The disciples in the boat reorientated away from their own fear to someone who could control things, Jesus, and said, Jesus, save us. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And then they were amazed because Jesus' agenda, the kingdom of God's agenda, had been carried out. Uh, Is it possible that worry comes from us being too concerned about ourselves and not the things that concern, concern our Father? Who already knows our needs? I have a friend. It was a great example of this. Somebody who was, I would say, is just a worrier about all sorts of very rational things in life. Things that were not ideal, troubles that were there. And it was incredible to watch this person as they were just sitting in this and, and floating and sinking and just being absorbed in this, all of a sudden go this last summer to a, a camp for a couple of weeks and begin to serve there the youth that came. It was incredible when they came back to see a perspective change that happened to them. All of a sudden, they were more concerned about the students that they had worked with at camp than themselves. And they got involved in ministering here at this church community to others and serving others. And I was caught up in how to serve much more than how the world should be serving her to fix the situations. It was a perspective change. Nothing in circumstances changed. Troubles are still there, but there was a perspective shift that now made God's kingdom more important than their kingdom. And Jesus ends with that thought. He says, shift kingdom perspective because that affects worry. Affects our worry. Uh, I just want to end with this. It's a psalm. Uh, I underline, psalms that give life, I underline in green in my Bible. So this one's got green all over it. Psalm 37. And verses 5 and 6 and 7 are of particular interest. Verse 5 starts by saying this, Commit your way to the Lord. It's a perspective shift. Trust in Him and He will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn. The justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still. And in the original Greek that basically means stop it. Calm down. Maybe chill out perhaps. Stop it. Be still before the Lord 
and wait patiently on him. And then I love the next three words. Do not fret. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Stop it. Just chill out. Come before the Lord with that stuff and wait on him. Give your attention and your vision to him. And something shifts. Something changes. We work it out with the Father. Um, So, my hope for you today is that you don't walk away saying, okay, there was a pat answer. All my worries, I just have to pray and everything will be peachy. No. It's about in the midst of our challenges and our troubles of life, changing our perspective from us and our kingdom to the Father and his kingdom. And seeing if that doesn't shift something in us as well. As God joins in walking through life with us. It's a shifting. And Jesus' last words, Therefore don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Uh, there's not a promise to take the trouble away. Rather, there's a promise that God will be in the midst of it with us.